Protecting students and teachers when they step into school is priority number one. On School Safety Today, a podcast from Raptor Technologies, we'll bring you the technologies and leadership that protects over 35,000 schools across the United States. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this Raptor Technologies live broadcast. We're pleased to be joining you live here with some thought leadership on cybersecurity in education. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And again, thanks so much for joining us. As we explore today's topic and you tap into some live thought leadership from the Raptor team, make sure that you're heading to our website as well at raptortech.com. Again, raptortech, T-E-C-H, Dot com for more resources and also more content, including episodes of our podcast, School Safety Today. And you can also uh, excuse me, subscribe to that broadcast and that podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So on today's live show, we're going to be talking all things school cybersecurity. And for insights on our live broadcast, we're going to be hearing from Raptors SVP of Product and Engineering, Mr. Chris Noel, and he's going to be breaking down for us what it means to have best-in-class IT security requirements to reduce the likelihood of new and dangerous breaches occurring to your critical student and staff data. All right, Chris, to kick things off, what I want to do is just paint that bigger picture of impact for our audience. So the main question is, why do schools need to be worried about cybersecurity at all in the first place, right? I mean, we kind of mentioned in the intro that this is a priority and there were several breaches in 2020, but could you ground that for us, right? And maybe quantify the financial cost or maybe a more esoteric cost uh, that, sure. uh, you know, not focusing on cybersecurity can bring to a school. Yeah, I think historically schools have done a great job of focusing on, you know, more physical threats, fires, extreme weather events, and then more recently, the public health crisis we've had with COVID. Uh, schools have had to take those public health risks and events seriously and have largely done a good job. Um, you know, perhaps because uh, cyber attacks are newer and they're less tangible, I, I don't think schools have been quite as well prepared for that. And the data kind of bears that out in the growth rate we've seen over the last few years going from around 100 of these attacks that were reported in 2016 to 400 in the most recent year that's reported, which is 2020. Um, we've also seen kind of underlying that data that the severity of these incidents when they happen is increasing. So we've seen ransomware attacks being in the you know million dollar ransoms uh, in K-12. We've seen spear phishing attempts that have been successful where school funds were transferred out and never recovered to the tune of, in one case, $9.8 million. Certainly a bad day, no matter how large the school district. And then, uh, you know, we've seen data breaches that are probably the most severe of these in terms of their impact on the community uh, that can affect tens of thousands of students and staff records and result in, unfortunately, kind of a long trail of identity theft in the community that uh, that follows these kinds of breaches. So, you know, the numbers are concerning, uh, the growth trends concerning, and the severity of these incidents is concerning. I think all building a business case that we should take this seriously. What I want to do now is intersect 
some statistics from that state of K through 12 cybersecurity review that I mentioned earlier. Again, this was a 2020 year in review. It was conducted by K12 uh, Security Information Exchange and the K12 Cybersecurity Resource Center. If you're watching this and you want to kind of follow along, you should go to k12cybersecure.com. Again, k12cybersecure.com. You can find the report on there. But again, there were a few specific stats here that I think frame up what you're talking about well, Chris, and that I think are important for our audience and maybe questions that they're even asking themselves already. So on page three of the report, there's this uh, breakdown of the most common types of incidents, of cyber incidents in 2020. The huge bucket there is a kind of a mix of smaller breaches. So I want to hone in on the second largest one, which is the largest single type of cyber incident. And that was categorized as data breaches and leaks. Uh, it was a, a pretty massive portion here. We're talking th uh, 36% of cyber incidents reported in 2020 were data breaches and leaks. So I want to just get your analysis here. How does this actually play out in practice, right? Like how does this impact the day-to-day -day of a school's operations, their ability to deliver on curriculum effectively? And is there a, a cost, you know, either financial or uh, slightly more esoteric that we can quantify here? Sure. I mean, I, I think the first thing to think about with the data breach is, when this happens, it is a community uh, event. It is in the news. It's, it is something that is going to cause everybody in a leadership position to freeze and focus on this. Uh, you're, you're likely going to have third-party forensics firms involved uh, analyzing your data. You may have a disruption service as a result of that, hopefully not. But the biggest uh, uh, concern by far is the impact to your, to your student and staff community. Uh, these are people who trust you with this data. Uh, when that data is compromised, there's certainly a loss of trust that goes along with that. There can be a financial uh, uh, liability as well. That really is dependent on state law. Uh, but, uh, you know, for sure, there's a loss of trust that takes a long time to restore with your community and the impact to that community can be severe. I mean, again, we're talking about enough data for someone to, uh, in some cases, open up credit card accounts. Um, you know, there've been cases where elementary school students have had credit card accounts opened in their name, which, you know, it's kind of disappointing that that can even happen, but, uh, um, you know, it's one of those things that you never want to happen to you or the people that you're have entrusted their data to you. Right, exactly. It's uh, it's disruptive. You know, at at the at the very best, it's a nuisance. At the very worst, it uh, you know, is sensitive student or staff data that gets in the wrong hands. And um, you know, uh, we saw another chunk there. Twelve percent of those breaches ended up turning into ransomware attacks too. So last thing you want is then sensitive data getting in the wrong hands, and then to get it back safely, you have to fork over. A ton of money and it's not like school districts have you know uh <laughs> vaults of cash just waiting to pass off a ransomware attacks right so um this is very critical to keep in mind there's one more data set chris that i want to uh, get your perspective on but uh on page 12 of that report uh the top of the page is titled characteristics of districts at risk 
this lays out uh, a different demographic perspective on the cyber incidents that we saw not only in 2020, but actually over the last five years. And I want to call out some stats here and get your thoughts on if they matter or if this is something that districts should consider. So what we saw uh, was a breakdown by enrollment size as well as community type and an analysis of how this impacted the share of cyber incidents that we saw over the last five years. Now what we saw was that the enrollment size of the district, whether it was large, medium, or small, didn't have that critical of uh, of an impact on the share of cyber incidents. They all hovered around 30 to 34 uh, percent of the incidents and you know there's a huge spread and differences with the amount of large or small uh, school districts. But what we did see impact uh, the share of cyber incidents more was the community type. And so I want to call this out. What we saw was that rural districts, though they make up about 51% of all districts, only accounted for 23% of cyber incidents in that five-year period, 2016 through 2020. And when you look at suburban districts, they make up about 43% of all districts, but they saw a more overwhelming share, 56% of cyber incidents in that five-year period were suburban. So again, more rural, but less incidents less suburban districts, but more incidents. Is there a correlation here that's worth analyzing, Chris? Uh, and is this something that should inform future strategies by school districts, you know, as they gauge their situation? So certainly, I think if you're in one of those more targeted areas, that's worth taking note of. I wouldn't uh, necessarily change my plans if I'm a rural district or one, a district that's in one of those less targeted areas because data like this can be a little sparse. We're talking about 400 incidents uh, of which, you know, those are the ones we know about that were publicized. Uh, there generally is significant underreporting going on with cybersecurity, particularly in the case of the data breaches we were talking about earlier. You know, those may go undiscovered. And so, um, you know, even if a district wants to report it, they may not even know about it. Uh, you know, really at any point in time. So, um, you know, again, I think it's good good data to have, maybe a little bit more focus on it if you're a urban or suburban district. But if you're a rural district, I wouldn't take this as a sign. That this is less of a threat to, uh, you know, to your community. Okay, so Chris, let's jump into resources available, right? Is there any standardized guidance for K through 12 administrators, uh, or even educators to uh, try to maneuver these breaches and create more mitigation strategies? If so, do you have any standouts that you point to? Or I mean, if there's a lack of resources, right? Give us the big picture why. Sure. So if you kind of step outside of K through 12, there's a, a, a a number of standards that you could take a look at and would be great places to start. Uh, the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, publishes their uh, CSF framework. That's used by a number of districts around the country as a baseline in a number of states. Um, in some cases, that's written into state law as the standard that people should follow. So that that's certainly a good one to take a look at. I think what's really exciting about the uh, K through 12 Cybersecurity Act that got signed in October 
is that is all about creating a K through 12 specific security guideline. And um, the last sort of milestone of that enactment is going to be a toolkit for uh, K through 12 administrators to be able to uh, not only have a guideline, but have a toolkit for better understanding and implementing that guideline. So uh, rough timeframes for that are uh, April, we should see the guideline published and roughly around August, that toolkit should become available. But uh, yeah, I think the big event's gonna be in April when that guideline's published. Um, in the meantime, I would say also take a look at the CISA, the world's full of acronyms here, but uh, the, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency that's a part of Homeland Security. They have some guidance that's specific to K through 12 and is specific to some of these attacks that we're seeing more of the uh, class meeting invasions, the ransomware that's targeted at K-12. I do recommend that our audience out there uh, stay tuned for that uh, full set of uh, tools and recommendations from the Biden administration. Like he said, that's meant to be coming here in, um, let's see, later in April. So if there aren't really that many standardized recommendations or we're still waiting on some direction from the federal government, what should schools be doing to protect themselves now, right? Are there any strategies you recommend or any resource investments that they should be making while they wait for a more standardized vision for the future? So I would recommend, again, taking a look at those uh, CISA guidelines. Uh, uh, it's pronounced CISA, but I want to make sure that the audience uh, can find it. Um, uh, Again, those are specific to different types of attacks that K through 12 experience and specific to K through 12. So I think those are great resources to take a look at. Take a look at your vendors. Uh, it's never too early to establish a vendor management program. The majority of these data breaches that we were just talking about are actually not data breaches of the district systems directly. They're breaches of the vendors some vendor system that the district does business with. And so it's really important that you not only look at your own security, but anybody that you're exchanging data with, uh, you should be looking at their security as well. Very true. Now that's a toughie, right? Because as much as you can have oversight into the level of data, um, protections and cybersecurity that your partners have, you know, having influence over the changes they make may be a little harder, right? Do you have any recommendations or strategies there? Is it as binary as if they don't meet your standards, you know, you got to jump ship and find a new partner? Or do you recommend a kind of open dialogue about how existing partners should also be leveling up their cybersecurity investments to benefit school districts? Yeah, so I mean, security is very important, but it is one aspect of a business decision about who you uh, ultimately do business with. I would say sure. if someone's not in good shape uh, on the security front or has a plan to get there, that should be a big red flag and you ought to at least consider what other options you have as a district. Um, again, the majority of these data breaches are coming from vendors. so. You know, you could do everything perfectly to secure yourself, but if you don't also 
make sure that you're doing business with the right vendors, then you're leaving a, 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 a big exposure. Um, other things you can do, uh, there are audit standards that especially security as a service and infrastructure as a service vendors go through. So if you're ed tech, uh, school information system or security system, the software as a service you use, uh, you know, go ask that vendor for a SOC 2 audit. That's a well-accepted audit standard for our industry. And, uh, you know, again, either that vendor should have it or be on the path to having it uh, soon because that's really a third-party attestation that they're doing the right thing and that, you know, an auditor has come in and validated that the controls are in place and functioning. And then, I, you know, getting a, a better sense of your um, vendor's commitments, I think, also comes down to being able to ask the right questions, right, and, and know kind of where to probe and and get that lay of the land from existing or new partners. Uh, what are your recommendations there, right? Are there any specific questions you think districts should be asking of their vendors to understand if there are any red flags raised and kind of how do you recommend that districts um, identify those questions in the first place? Yeah, so I think the easiest and most straightforward path is again, sort of focusing on a third party audit that's been conducted against that firm, SOC 2 being the most well-recognized one, but certainly there are other ways to go about getting your security assessed. That's a good way for you without sort of diving into the specifics of their security program and you know, potentially even doing an on-site visit or something like that. It's a good way for you to develop a, a assurance that they're doing the right things. I think the more progressive school districts also have a, a vendor security questionnaire that's part of their contracting process. And you know that has your standard security questions. So again, it's a self-assessment on the part of the vendor as to how they comply with that. But uh, at least you're getting you know, that level of information gathered before you make your final decision. Right. All right, Chris, we've only got a few more questions here before we begin to wrap up. I want to highlight the, I guess, scale of investment that this takes, right? To do a proper cybersecurity uh, assessment, audit, uh, and then reinvestment into new technologies and strategies at scale, you need the proper resources. And it's not a cheap investment, if we're being honest. So how do you reckon that districts of different sizes and different available resources approach investing in the right solutions you know, with the resources that they have at hand? Are there any sort of core areas you recommend everyone starts at first, regardless of how much money you have to spend on this? Or maybe even, uh, you know, do you have any funding recommendations too to make sure that you can reach the standard needed for the era? Yeah, so I do. I think that you know everything else being equal, in spite of those vendor statistics, you know, districts and you know private sector companies as well are going to be better off the more of the more they can move that responsibility to a third party who's singularly focused on securing their application. Um, you know, there's a level of focus and resource that would be really hard to match if you're doing it all yourself. So to the extent you can leverage, you know, uh, 
well-respected vendors who've made the right investment in security to take some of the burden off of you, that's a good start. I think the other good, good start is just inventory where you're at. If you don't know where sensitive data is in the district and you know how those systems are networked together, um, what vendors you're sharing that data with, then it's gonna be very difficult to design the right security program. Because again, sort of everything else being equal, you're gonna wanna start by securing the most precious assets you have, not kind of peanut buttering your investment across every system in the district. Very fair, very fair. Now I wanna get a, a quick plug here for Raptor and get a better understanding for how you as a vendor are ensuring best-in-class IT security for your school district partners, right? So break that down for us, right? What have uh, Raptor's investments and strategies been to make sure that you're insulated, and what can we learn from that? Yeah, so I think we've done a lot of the things we've been talking about on this call. We started with some best practice standards for software-as-a-service companies. Um, we wanted to make sure that we had a comprehensive security program because Security is about a set of controls. No one control is going to make you secure. Um, and then we have worked to not only implement those, but to you know, bring in third parties who are security experts to audit us, uh, both in terms of our compliance with our controls, as well as just sort of wide open you know, hacking exercises to see what vulnerabilities they can find in our systems um, so that we're proactively addressing those versus, you know, reacting to uh, a bad event. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we've gone about it. Um, you know, we're not perfect. I think everybody in the security industry or who's trying to secure their business has to have the appropriate level of humility. Uh, but, uh, you know, we, uh, we certainly have made the type of investment that we've been talking about. It's great to hear. Great to hear because it's important. Uh, again, uh, based on those statistics you laid out with um, most of these breaches and cyber incidents happening due to, you know, poor cybersecurity strategies on the vendors and it makes sense to be investing in partners that make that a priority. So last main question I've got for you here is circling back to um, that Cybersecurity Act you mentioned. So again, the Biden administration's K-12 Cybersecurity Act of 2021 has been in motion since October. And I know the education space is eagerly awaiting the federal government's uh, security recommendations and toolkit uh, that's expected to come out in April of this year. Can you give us a little bit of an update on the timeline there based on what you know of their progress so far and maybe what school districts can expect from um, said standards? If you know, if you have any of that insider info or can speculate a bit. <laughs> sure. So right now the uh, uh, CISA is mid-study. Uh, that study should conclude here shortly in February. Um, and we'll sort of get a sneak peek into their thinking as that study gets published. Uh, it's going to be more focused on the challenges the school districts have and a sort of another layer of data analysis, I would expect. Um, and then, you know, that report, that guideline that comes out 60 days later, I think, I think, that, you know, we'll certainly get an indication of where the focus is going to be on that based on 
you know, where the, the problems are in this early report. Well, then uh, we should keep our ears and eyes open for those recommendations. And, uh, you know, hopefully there is a robust toolkit there that school districts can put in place to meet the standards of the era. But I think with that and those future focused, uh, you know, perspectives on mapping out a cyber strategy uh, throughout this year and beyond, I think we'll go ahead and wrap up our live broadcast, Chris. So thank you so much for your perspective today and for helping us better understand sort of the, the state of school cybersecurity today, what strategies we should be implementing to get ahead of the curve and what we can expect to come through the pipeline of strategies and solutions. So again, we've been chatting with our guest, Mr. Chris Noel, Raptors SVP of Product and Engineering. And Chris, if folks want to find out a little bit more about uh, you know, your work in this space, maybe they want to pull some more insights or advice from you, or they just want to learn more about Raptor's commitments to cybersecurity or your products, where should we point them? Where can they go? Yeah, great. Um, certainly, uh, you know, hit our website. There's a lot of great materials on there. That's uh, raptortech.com. Or, uh, you know, feel free to, uh, uh, you know, contact us and I'd be happy to speak with anybody about, uh, you know, their cybersecurity program and answer any questions you may have. Chris, it's really been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. And I'm looking forward to getting some updates here once those recommendations drop from the federal government. I'm sure we'll have plenty more conversations to analyze the field and reassess our strategies. So thanks again, and we'll chat soon. Thanks. And thank you everyone for tuning in to this live broadcast from the Raptor Technologies team. Uh, we mentioned on this broadcast several times the K through 12 cybersecurity 2020 year in review. I want to make sure that y'all check that out for yourselves and get a total lay of the land. So make sure you're heading to k12cybersecure.com for that report. And then of course, make sure you're heading to our website, raptortech.com. Again, raptortech, T-E ch.com for more content, more resources, and more analysis of the field. And of course, for more information about how we're playing a role in securing your school districts. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And thanks so much for tuning into this Raptor Technologies live broadcast.